Hey, good morning, church. Uh, thanks for joining us. I've been watching you online, posting your comments, uh, prayer requests. I want to encourage you to share uh, your social media platform, invite others to join us this morning. Uh, wanted to share that video with you. Uh, many of you know Ben and Lana Walker, who are former members of our church before they went on to the mission field to plant church. Well, Rob is their son, and he's a church planter up in Oregon at New Hope. And I got to go up and visit Rob and meet him and meet the Walkers last year and see what's going on at New Hope. And it's amazing. Here's a church plant planting churches already. And so we are happy to be a part of that right now. We are helping them financially, uh, sending them money. Our hope is to take teams up there to help put boots on the ground to help them do ministry and help their churches grow. Um, again, that's not our church plant, but we've connected to them and uh, grateful for what Rob is doing. I love his passion, love his vision, and it fits into our vision, right? We are a church planting church, and that's not just for our area not just for our state, not just for our country. We want to plant churches all over the world. And so this is kind of a, a next step for us to be able to connect. So uh, hopefully this year we'll be able to travel and you'll be hearing more and more about mission trips going up to Oregon. But in the meantime, pray for those guys. We're excited about what they're doing. And I know another big question for you is when are we going to reopen? When are we going to come back together as the church? And we've targeted June the 28th. Again, that's a target date. We might be able to move that up. We pray that we don't have to move it back just kind of based on how numbers and cases in our area kind of ebb and flow. So we want to keep an eye on that. I know it's frustrating. I'm ready to be back together as well. But we talked a lot about this, thought about it, and just coming together kind of the way that we would have to do it. It doesn't make sense to where it's 75% capacity anyway, but then having people separate, wearing masks, not shaking hands, and it just didn't seem normal for us. So we wanted to wait to the 28th day to hopefully a lot of these restrictions are lifted um, and we can be together and we call, we're calling it Easter 2.0. So we want to have that same vibe, that same experience when we come together. It's a day of celebration. You know, one of the things I've seen uh, a meme or a post the other day said the church is not missing. They've just been deployed. And I love that because we are deployed. We're still the church. We're still healthy. We're, things are going great. God is doing incredible things through us and through ministry. You have been serving, meeting neighbors, sharing the gospel. So we're, the, the church is happening, even though we're not here. So that day we come back together is kind of a, a regrouping to go back out again. I hope that's our mentality from now on till Jesus comes. We're the church in the community. We're not just to be here. We come here to be refreshed and be encouraged, but then we're sent back out or deployed again to go fight against the enemy uh, for the souls of men and women. So I, I hope we keep that mentality. I hope we keep checking on one another. Uh, I'm loving hearing people calling one another, making sure everybody's okay. We want to continue to do that even when this pandemic is over. So you're doing a great job, church. Keep being the church. Uh, and we look forward to the day we can come back together and see one another. But until then, uh, God is still using us in incredible ways. And so I realized that this is obviously unprecedented for us going through this experience. And one of the things we really key on at First Burleson is just authenticity, just to be real. And so I just want to be real with you this morning. As you consider this crisis that we're in, I want to ask you a question. And I want you to think about this. Right? You don't have to respond in the comments on this, but think about this. Where has God disappointed you in this pandemic? Maybe you've been praying, God, I need to keep my job, but you lost your job. God, I, need to, I pray that I keep my level of income, but your income has been cut. Father, keep me healthy, but, but you're sick. Father, I need peace, but you're still afraid. 
I mean, just be honest. Where have you felt like God has let you down during this pandemic? One of the questions I hear a lot uh, reading and hearing people talk about it, non-Christians and Christians alike, where is God in this crisis? And on the surface, that seems to be a legitimate question because as you look around, it's hard to see evidence that he is here. And it's easy to get caught up in that mindset. Where, where is God? If God was actually here, then he would do this. Or if God were really, if he really cared about me, then he would do this. And it's the if then statements that help cause us to define God our way. And I think that's a legitimate question. Where is God in all of this? If God is in control, why is the entire world suffering? Why, why couldn't he stop it? Why didn't he stop this? Is this a judgment on the wickedness of people? If so, then why is everyone suffering? Why, why are bad things happening to good people? Why are Christians suffering during this pandemic? Why are Christians losing their job or losing their income or losing their retirement? Why are Christians getting sick? Why are some Christians losing their life because of this virus? Those are all legitimate, real raw questions that, that we are asking. And maybe you're asking those same questions right now. That's a great place to start because we have answers to those questions. Again, maybe not based on our criteria, but we do have answers according to God's word. But I think we have to start really, at least for me, this pandemic is a huge reminder that all misery in the world is a result of sin. Go back to the Garden of Eden with Adam and, uh, Adam and Eve. And God said, don't eat the fruit of this tree. And then Satan comes along as a serpent. He says, oh, God was lying to you. <clears throat> if you do this, you'll be just like God. So do that. And so Adam and Eve in that moment decided to disobey God and believe the lies of Satan. And because of that, sin entered into the world. It, I guess maybe sin could be considered the first worldwide pandemic. And it's still going strong today. And because of sin, we suffer. Because of sin, there is pain in the world. Because of sin, we struggle and life is difficult. Because of sin, bad things happen to seemingly good people. But the Bible teaches us that none of us are good. None of us are innocent. We are all sinners. And whether you consider this God's judgment on the world or not, it is a huge wake-up call to the very fact that evil exists. And the reason that pain, suffering, and evil are here is because of our sin. And with that understanding in context, we're going to look at a passage in Judges chapter 6 this morning in this story. And we're going to discover that God's people are living under great oppression and persecution, great evil and suffering because of their disobedience. If you've been with us the last few weeks, we've been studying the book of Joshua. Last week, we looked at Joshua 24, where Joshua gives his farewell speech to the people of God. And he warns them not to serve other gods, but to stay true to the one true God. But he does say, but today you have to choose. Are you going to serve the one true God that got you to the promised land, that delivered our people out of slavery? Or are you going to choose the gods of the people in whose land you live? And then he made this bold statement. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord no matter the cost. We will serve the Lord in the middle of crisis. 
we will serve the Lord. And that was his declaration. And that's what we cling to. And the people cheered and they yelled, how do we serve the Lord God? How do we stay true? And so Joshua ends on a great note with the people all excited, committed to following the Lord. And then we get the judges. <laughs> and it seems like they've forgotten all that they committed to. The reason the judges follows Joshua is because God's people disobeyed God once again. Just like Joshua warned them, just as Joshua was afraid they would do, they did it. They did not heed Joshua's warning. You know, there's a great band out today. I love this band, Imagine Dragons. And they got a, a song, it's been out for a little while, called Believer. And there's a great line in this song that I think sums up the attitude of the Israelites. Listen to, the, to this verse. Second thing, second, don't you tell me what you think that I can be. I'm the one at the sale, I'm the master of my sea. Oh, ooh, the master of my sea. Oh, ooh. And that line I'm the one at the sail. I'm the master of the sea. Right? You, you hear the arrogance in that statement. You, you hear the self-identification as the one in control. Well, that's exactly what the people of God were doing. Yeah, they heard Joshua's warning. They remembered the stories, but they chose to disobey. So let's pick that up in verse 1 through 6 of Judges chapter 6. Here we have the context of what's going on. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza. It did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They even killed their donkeys. <laughs> it's pretty intense. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites, they cried out to the Lord for help. So I was thinking of this passage over these last couple of weeks in this story that we're looking at today. And a couple of weeks ago, Robin and I were invited by one of her realtor friends to go and tour a house in Westlake. It was a $4.2 million house. And she wanted us to just kind of come and see and see what questions we might have. And so she could get some feedback as she was uh, trying to sell this house. And so we bought two of them, uh, just to let you know. So that's a joke. We didn't. But anyway, it's impressive. Here's some pictures of that house. I mean, it's amazing. It was a beautiful home. Just a massive mansion there in Westlake, Texas. And, and I was thinking about this sermon and, and getting ready for it and just walking through that house and thought, man, how, how amazing it must be for this couple to own this beautiful home. And then I thought with this story with the Israelites living in the promised land, the beautiful land that God had given them. And I thought, imagine if this couple who owned this $4.2 million home discovered their house was infested with rats and roaches two things that I hate incredibly. And because of that, rather than dealing with the infestation, they just decided to move out into a 10 by 10 metal shed. I mean, that'd be crazy, right? Just as it was crazy for the Israelites, God's chosen people living in the land that he promised all the way back to their father, Abraham. But now because of fear, they're living in caves. They're hiding away because they're afraid of this enemy. 
And all this is a result of their disobedience to God because they served other gods. And then in the midst of crisis, these other false gods were nowhere to be found. They let them down. They didn't provide for them. And that's the same thing for us today. If there are false gods in our life, false idols in our life, things that we serve, things that we put in the place of God, they're all going to let us down. We've seen that in this time of crisis. If you've put your hope in anything but God, whatever it is has let you down. Many of those things have been removed from your life, whether it's finances, materialism, jobs, relationships. Many of those have been taken away from us because in all honesty, they have become gods in our life. Tim Keller describes an idol as anything that is more important to you than God. And he says, if you have ever said, if I just had that in my life, then I would find purpose and meaning. If I just had this, then I would be happy. Whatever this is, is an idol for you. It has become a God in your life, if that's what you're saying, to anything other than the one true God. And that's exactly what God's people were doing until they finally hit rock bottom. They were, for seven years, they were tired of the oppression. And so finally, it took them seven years, but finally they cry out to God. And God is a merciful God. He is a loving God. He is a forgiving God. And he heard their cry and he sent a messenger. He sent a prophet. And this prophet came to remind them of what Joshua told them. Do not serve these other gods. Stay true to the one true God. Because if you don't, you're going to regret it. As we know scripture today, as we know the commands of God, when he says, do not lie, do not steal, do not cheat, do not covet, do not have any other gods, do not lust. Because when we do, we end up regretting it. Yes, yeah, sin feels good for a while, but there's always a price to pay. These false gods in our life, they never come through for us. They always disappoint. Sin always leads us further than we ever anticipated going. Yeah, we want to dabble in it a little bit, but it always takes us. It creates a, an addiction in our life, and there's never enough to satisfy. And that's where the people of God found themselves. It's a reminder for us, this is not our land. This is not our home. And God's command to us is his command to the Israelites, do not worship the gods of this world. They will always let you down. They will always disappoint. There is only one true God, worthy of praise and worthy of worship. It is the God of the Bible. Look at verse 11, chapter 6. The angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak in Ophrah and belonged to Joash the Abazarite. <laughs> Say that five times fast. Where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why is all this happening to us? Sound familiar? Where are his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in strength and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the least of my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you. 
and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. Several incredible things are happening right here in this whole experience. As this angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and Gideon's first question is, same as our first question to this message, where is God in all of this? You say the Lord is with me, but it sure doesn't look like it. And we know that looks can be deceiving. In this pandemic, it can easily look like God is not for us, that God is not involved in this. It could easily look like because of circumstances that God is not present, but we know that he is. He promises that he will never leave us or forsake us. Even when we can't see it, we cling to this promise. And for Gideon, this was a reminder of his promises. A lot of people are saying today, well, you know, God's got this. And honestly, it doesn't look like it. (laughs) I mean, the whole world is suffering, right? But the truth is that, that we know that he does, even though we can't always see it. Again, Israel was in this condition because they began to serve other gods. In addition to Yahweh, but they served other gods, false gods. They sinned against God and it led them to this condition. It's also significant that the angel of the Lord sits down under this oak tree because the Canaanites believed that oak trees were gods. They were symbols of the fertility of Baal and Asherah. Baal being the male counterpart, God, false God, Asherah being the female counterpart, false God. And so they believed because of their fertility, their, that's where the oak trees were planted. And the oak trees were actually gods. They represented gods. And so the people of Cana would worship these oak trees. They would offer sacrifices under them. They would perform sexual acts under them, all in a pagan worship to a false god. And so it's significant this angel sits down at the foot of this oak tree, basically saying to Gideon, this is just a tree. Why are you guys freaking out about all these oak trees? They're not gods. They are not more powerful than your God. I mean, they're great for shade and they provide oxygen, but it's just a stinking tree. Why are you guys so afraid? Why are you living in caves and not in the mansion land that God provided for you? And he refers to Gideon as a mighty warrior. What are some of the favorite names that you read in the Bible that God has called you? He's called us a holy nation, a royal priesthood, sons and daughters of God. What is a significant name for you that you read in scripture that inspires you when you know that God sees you that way? Write those in the comments. He approaches Gideon and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Well, the angel's either being sarcastic here (laughs) or he's speaking a word of prophecy because it doesn't look like Gideon's a mighty warrior. Again, looks can be deceiving. He's threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, you don't thresh wheat in a wine press. You do it on a threshing floor where the wind can blow. So when you throw up the wheat, the chaff can blow away and the good stuff falls to the ground. Why is he doing this in a wine press? Because he's scared just like everybody else. He's hiding away from the enemy. He realizes if he goes to the threshing floor, he's visible to the Midianites. When they see what he's doing, they're going to come and take his wheat away from him. So he's scared. He's hiding out. He doesn't look like a mighty warrior, but that's exactly what he is. 
Because when God calls you a mighty warrior, that's what you are. When God calls you an overcomer, that's what you are. When God calls you a child of God, a child of the king, that's what you are. When God calls you, that's what you are. And he had to embrace this. But even in this embracing, he embraces in fear. So this is all to highlight the weakness of Gideon. He is a weak little man. No one would consider him a mighty warrior except for God. I don't know if you've caught ESPN's documentary called The Last Dance. It's a documentary on the 97-98 Chicago Bulls with Michael Jordan. And it's a great story. If you haven't watched it, you need to. It's very inspiring. It's very cool. If you know anything about the story, Michael Jordan, of course, probably one of the greatest basketball players of all time, was drafted by the Bulls in 1984. It took until 1991 before the Bulls won their first championship. Now, they ended up winning six championships altogether, but it took a little while. But it's cool to see the life of Michael Jordan and, and hear all that was going on there. But another cool part of that documentary is you get to see some of the other players, the supporting characters to Michael Jordan. No-name basketball players that came from small towns that achieved greatness, large in part because they were connected to Michael Jordan, but they really came from nothing to achieve greatness. Well, that's exactly what's happened to Gideon. Because of the Lord, he's about to achieve greatness. It goes back all the way to Joshua. Remember the statement God gave Joshua, be strong and courageous. You know the caveat to that? In the Lord, by obeying the law, by trusting God. He wasn't saying, Joshua, be strong and courageous in your own strength, but stay connected to me. He's looking at Midian, calling Gideon to do this incredible thing, not because of the strength of Gideon, but the strength of God. So look at verses 1 through 8 of chapter 7. Early in the morning, Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel will boast against me. They will say that my own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back to, the, to leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left. That's a big chunk of the army. While 10,000 remain. But the Lord said to Gideon, there's still too many men. Take them down to water and I will thin them out for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down to their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with these 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Now the camp of Midian lay below them in the valley. So here's another question for you to respond to. How has God demonstrated his strength to you during this crisis? Write those in the comments so we can all celebrate. So here's the crazy part of this story. 32,000 soldiers, which nothing to sneeze at, right? They're still outnumbered by the Midianites, but that's a pretty good army. And God says, all right, tell those who are afraid to go home. So a large portion go home. They're honest, I guess. That's a good thing. 10,000 are left. God says there's still too many. 
I'm going to thin them out. Take them down the river. Watch how they drink. If they drink with cupped hands, then those are the ones I want. If they stick their face down the water, I don't want those guys. Send them home. Only 300 drank like this. They stayed alert. They kept their eyes up, even though drinking water. The rest put their face down. They couldn't see if somebody attacked them. And so God got this 300 to go and fight the Midianites. Now, Gideon is still afraid. We've seen his history. In verse 23 of chapter 6, the angel told Gideon, don't be afraid. You are not going to die. But then Gideon still, he tears down the altar to Baal. He tears down the Asherah pole, but he does it at night so he's not caught. So even though he's obedient, he's still afraid, right? He's still kind of trying to maneuver things on his own. And then he does the famous thing of putting out the fleece, right? He puts it out one day and says, God, if this is really what you want me to do, then make the fleece wet and the ground dry. He wakes up in the morning. That's exactly what happened. He says, God, one more test, all right? Let me just test one more thing. This time, make the fleece dry and the ground wet. He wakes up and God does it. God is very patient with us. I don't recommend testing him like this, but he's very patient, right? So he's fleecing it out here. Uh, as Daryl says on the office, you got to fleece it out. Well, that's what he's doing here. He's fleecing it out, and God proves faithful here, even though it is, he's doubting in this moment. And so we see that Gideon is insecure. Can I just say something to you? Did you know that insecurity is a form of pride? Insecurity causes us to look at ourselves and say, there's no way that I can do this. There's no way that God can do this through me. I, I am too weak. I don't have the ability. I don't have the strength to do it. Even by that statement, which sounds very humble, we're actually put, putting the focus on us, saying, well, if I can't do it, it can't be done. That's a sense of pride. That's a statement of pride because it's not about you. You're not the measure. You and I are not the measure of the strength of God. Jesus is. The other thing is conceit. Conceit obviously is a form of pride to make these kind of statements that, well, I, I don't really need God in this. I've got this. I've heard that statement a lot too. You got this. Not without Jesus, you don't. Not without God, we don't. We don't got this, right? We can't got this on our own strength. It, we have to rely on the strength of God. Because when we start to feel like we're strong and we're in control, that's when we start saying, I don't really need God for this. And that's where we end up just like the Israelites. Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 says this about himself. Therefore, in order to keep from be becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. One of the things about this COVID-19 virus is it exposed us that we have been depending upon lesser gods. It has been very convicting to look into our lives, look inside and see, is there something I am serving? Is there something I trust more than God in my life? And this, this time set aside has exposed that for us. So again, where have you felt God has disappointed you in this crisis? And whatever your answer is may be an indicator that you have served some other gods, that you've put some other things in God's place. Somewhere you believe that those things are necessary in your life and they become idols for you. 
And God is taking this time, just as he did for the Israelites, to show that he is trustworthy. He is faithful. So tell us, where has God exposed some things in your life? What has God exposed in your life that may be a false God? Because the encouragement of the story of Gideon is to stay weak. Hey, it's not your weakness that is standing in the way of God doing something amazing in and through your life. It is your delusion of strength that is standing in the way of God. Because Paul said it, when I am weak, when I admit my need for God, when I acknowledge my weakness, then I am strong because I depend on God. One of the things I hope that we've all experienced in this pandemic is a greater dependence upon God. That we have seen all the things that we build, the kingdoms that we build can be taken away overnight. The gods that we serve that are not the true gods, they will disappoint us. There's only one God that will stick with us. There's only one God that will redeem our suffering and he will. There's only one God that will rescue us from our sin and from our bad decisions. Our faith will be rewarded. When we cling to God and look to him for strength, he will provide strength. He is perfect. And so just like in our life, just like he wanted for the Israelites, he doesn't want us taking credit for this. He wants to get the glory. In this pandemic, one of the reasons I believe God allowed this is so that he will be glorified that the church will focus the world on Jesus, that we will promote the name of Jesus across the world so he will receive glory. So whether it's insecurity or conceit, all that comes out of human pride. And God says, stay weak. Acknowledge that you are weak. You wanna know the greatest illustration of weakness and strength? It is the cross of Jesus Christ. To take the leader of this movement and to kill him on a cross, humanly that looks weak. That he allowed others to control him and take his life, that's a sign on a human plane of weakness. But we know that three days later, God raised him from the dead. And through his death and resurrection, he killed sin. He conquered sin and death and the grave. There's no greater power. So you want to see the balance of weakness and strength? Look to the cross. Look to Jesus Christ. Which says to us, all that it costs us to follow Jesus will be repaid, will be redeemed, and with interest. God simply is taking us through a time right now that he stripped away everything that is not of him in which we look to for strength so that we can focus our eyes on him. You know what molting is? You know that term with birds, when birds shed feathers, old feathers, so that new ones can come in? Every bird goes through this, even eagles go through this process. Some do it quickly, some it takes a year or so to do. But that's an important process. If a bird, if an eagle is going to soar at the heights that it can go, the greatest heights that it can go, it's got to go through this molting process. It's got to go through this shedding of the old so the new can develop. The Bible says that there's got to be a pruning. There's got to be a, a molting in our life of anything that's not of God so that we can soar like on wings as eagles. I think part of this process of this pandemic has been a molting process for us. To remove those things, even things maybe we didn't recognize that we served more than God so that we can stand strong. 
I mean, look at this story. God downsized Gideon's army from 32,000 men, which is respectable army, down to 300. And then you need to read the rest of this story with your family today to see the incredible victory that they did with 300 men. Again, it shows the power and strength of God. One of the things I believe this COVID experience has done for us, it's allowed us to look inside our life and see, is there any sin still remaining in my life? Is there anything that's causing suffering and pain in my life that is not of God? And this is the time to confess and repent it. And maybe you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. This is the day for you to make the choice to invite Jesus to be the leader and forgiver of your lives, to admit that you are a sinner, just as we all are. But God is a God of grace and a God of mercy and a God of forgiveness. And he says, if you will call upon him, he will rescue you. Just like the Israelites, they served other gods, but when they finally cried out to God, he rescued them. The same is true for you. If you will just cry out to God, God, I believe that I am a sinner and I'm turning from my sin today to follow you, rescue me, he will. He promises he will. And if you pray that prayer today, you need to let somebody know so they can help you in this new faith walk, in this new journey. Real quick, let me share some warnings that we get out of the story of Gideon. First of all, beware of false repentance. We see that in the first 10 verses. The second is beware of viewing painful circumstances as the absence of God. God never promised he would take all the pain away from our lives, but he did promise to walk every step of the way with us. Just because you're suffering doesn't mean God isn't there. It may enable you to see him in different ways. Beware of thinking that it is your ability to fulfill God's calling in your life and it's based on your qualifications. You are powerless to do what God called you to do. But through his Holy Spirit, he empowers you to fulfill his calling on your life. And you have one that calls you to rely on God. The last one is beware of testing God and not trusting his promises. <laughs> Don't fleece it out. <laughs> Just believe him, trust and follow. So here's the challenge. I wanna challenge you to ask God, God, what are you doing in my life and how am I supposed to respond? What are you doing in my life? Why have you allowed me to go through this experience and how am I supposed to respond to it? And then do what he says. Spend some time today. Take 30 minutes just to contemplate that question. Listen to the Lord, write down what he says and do it. You won't regret it. You'll regret it if you don't. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the fact that you are our strength. And the success of our life is not dependent upon us. Father, we don't want to just survive this crisis. We want to thrive in it. We can only do that in your strength and in your power. God, help us to be weak. <laughs> help us to understand what it means to be weak. That, that's not a bad word in Christianity. Because just as Paul said, in our weakness, we are strong. Paul, you gave him a thorn in his flesh to keep him humble. You provided plenty of opportunities to keep us humble. This whole pandemic has been a very humbling experience because the things we took pride in have vanished. And many of us are left with nothing. And that's exactly where we find you. When we've emptied ourselves of ourselves, we find you. 
when we remove all these other fake gods that will always let us down, we find the one God who will never forsake us and never let us down. And I pray, God, that people all over the world discover you today. I pray, God, I ask you to save people today, save millions of people today as they hear the gospel, as they hear messages, as they hear sermons, that today would be the day we hear of millions turning their hearts to you. God, we don't pray for survival, we pray for revival. We ask you to continue this great awakening, to awaken our church, to awaken your church in the world, to be diligent to spare the, share the message of hope, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that many can come to know you the way that we do. And God, honestly, we may not be responding to this thing very well. We may feel disappointed. Some may feel rejected by you. Some may blame you. Some may hate you because of this, God, but I pray that you make us a diligent army to help people see that you truly are a God of love. And you are a faithful God. May we demonstrate that as your church. We love you, God. And we look forward to what you're going to continue to do during this worldwide crisis. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.